For this clinical slash performance insight, we highly recommend that you pop over to our YouTube or find this on our social media as there is a lot of video that goes along with this. We did our best to narrate it, but there's a lot of examples given and things that you probably want to see in person, so we do recommend that. Uh, this is previously recorded as something we put together for a symposium, but we thought it would provide a lot of value back, so please enjoy it again. Probably worth checking out if you can find it on social media or otherwise. Please enjoy. My name is Andrew Jagum. I'm an exercise physiologist and the director of sports medicine research at Mayo Clinic Health System. And I'm Joel Lukey. I'm one of the athletic trainers out here at Mayo Clinic Health System Sports Medicine. And while we were planning to hold this in person, we really wanted to do a movement seminar based on the feedback we got from the one we held in 2019. Again, unfortunately, we we're unable to do that. So with the event being virtual, we decided to put together this 10 tips that we can go and relay to all of you and also include all those movement recommendations. And the nice thing about this is now you'll be able to reference back to this kind of virtual video guide whenever you need to. So a lot of these different exercises and tips that we're going to be covering today, you can apply a lot of these fundamental principles to any exercise variation of this. So depending on your experience level, your equipment availability, uh, you can modify a lot of these different exercises or movements. The important thing is to always remember some of these key principles we're going to cover in these upcoming videos. And we even were able to add in some additional recovery and nutritional tips, again, that you can reference back to whenever you need to. Yeah, we really hope this is great baseline and foundational information, again, that can both help enhance performance, but also potentially reduce uh, the possibility of getting injured. tip is around this concept of tensegrity and you'll see in this video which we'll explain on here as it rolls through a couple times this concept is something that applies to everything that we're going to talk about in some of these movement tips as we go through really what it is focused on is maintaining tension throughout the body which is going to help drive better force production keep things more stable and really help prevent injury and also increase performance. So as you've seen this video go through one time, what we're doing here is having Dr. Jagum get very stiff, very tense, fingers are tight as I just tested. And what we're gonna show is if he maintains good spinal alignment and I try and go and get his elbow to bend, it's really hard for me to get that to happen. He's a big, strong guy. I'm relatively strong myself, so this is something that, in theory, I might be able to do. Now, if we set it up again, and I try and do it, and he tilts his head back, he immediately loses that ability to maintain that tension or that tensegrity, and that ultimately causes a break in the system. And that's what can go and cause some problems as we move into different movements. This brings us to tip number two, and this is squat mechanics. And one thing we really talk about a lot is leading with your hips, not your knees. So as you can see in this video, Dr. Jagum is breaking at his knees first, which is causing him to lose some balance and really struggle to try and force his hips down to get into parallel. This is something we'll really see that is common with athletes that have long-standing knee pain, um, or anything else that's just irritating them with patellar tendinitis or patellofemoral pain. What we'd like to see is you lead with your hips first and really engage your glutes to be able to load that area for A, not only strength development, but also for the um, 
injury prevention in terms of getting your hips really strong and controlling your knees. You can see as he's going through this, it's much easier for him to get down to 90 degrees. His heels don't rise. He's putting a lot less tension on his knees as he's going and doing this. Relating back to our tensegrity conversation, as he's doing these squats, he's looking kind of forward about six feet, maybe down a little to keep his head in line with his spine so we don't lose that good spinal position whereas a lot of people are taught to come out of the bottom position looking up to try and drive up. You can lose a lot of tension in the system there and that can ultimately potentially lead to an injury, um, overuse, or even just rob you of some strength. Tip number three is focusing on hip hinge mechanics. This is seen a lot with straight leg deadlifts or RDLs, but also just initiating in different clean or pull motions as well. So you can see in this one, Dr. Jacob is pushing his hips back, but what we wanted to focus on is that tensegrity concept again. As he's going down, his neck is extending, which is breaking that system. So a lot of people, if they're having a little back tightness or pain with this motion, is because their spine is getting into that kinked position that we've talked about before by letting that head come up as you're going down. So as you can see, Dr. Jagum adjusts that, lets his head track with his spine, keeps everything nice and straight. So we remove any of the low back musculature from working harder than it needs to in this motion. And we can really focus on getting our hamstrings and our glutes, which are our target muscles with these, to truly fire. One other kind of small tip to include in these is if you're really not feeling the engagement in your glutes and your hamstrings as much as you'd like, try pressing your big toe into the ground when you're initiating the motion to come back up. And that can really have an effect on engaging those glute muscles in order to help you get the proper muscle activation when performing this hip hinge exercise. Number four on our tip list are pulling motions. So with pulling motions, this is going to include barbell rows, dumbbell rows, seated rows, uh, and there's single arm and double arm variations of these. And really the core principles are always going to stay the same. So we want to set our shoulder blades and kind of think like you're tucking your shoulder blades into your rear pocket. Uh, and then focus on full range of motion. So getting those shoulder blades set, rowing all the way up to a full range of motion, keeping a spine neutral so we're not rounding the back or hyperextending it. Uh, and then again, nice, slow, controlled movements, whether we're pulling in a bent over position, uh, such as you can see here in the video clip, or if we're um, kind of sitting in a seated row machine or a cable seated row type of, of positioning. Again, we'd still wanna keep that spine neutral. Uh, and then again, full range of motion, controlling that weight up and lowering it down nice and smooth uh, and not kind of in a jerking fashion. When we're doing a single arm version like this, again, we want to keep that spine neutral, go through a full range of motion, but what we don't want is to twist or rotate uh, that upper thoracic um, positioning during this movement. So again, you can kind of see that I'm staying neutral, not rotating to the side as I'm pulling up with that. And with this dumbbell variation, you want to kind of um, focus on pulling that dumbbell right up to that side pocket. That would kind of be the full range of motion here. And we don't necessarily need to lower it beyond that point. Uh, again, kind of keeping in that same standard positioning, trying to squeeze those shoulder blades back, focus on those muscles in the back, uh, as opposed to turning it into an arm or a bicep type of a movement. So again, you can apply these same principles for 
any of these different pulling motions, whether it's standard single arm versions uh, such as this, whether you're using a bar, a dumbbell, resistance bands, or some of the machines that are out there for different pulling exercises. These same core principles are going to apply to all of those different versions. Next up on our list are pushing movements. So these will include push-ups, uh, bench press, dumbbell bench press, any kind of uh, cable machine would also fit this as well. So here we're pushing weight away from ourselves, or in the case of a push-up, um, pushing the, us away from the floor. But positioning is going to be the most important thing here. So if we're set up, you're going to go uh, hands about shoulder width apart, and you're going to want to make sure those elbows are at kind of a 45 degree angle in relation to the rest of your torso. So where people make the mistake sometimes is they go too wide with their hand positioning, and then they flare their elbows out like a T type of a fashion. So we want to tighten that angle up and get a little bit closer to 45 degrees, so closer to the torso. Um, and then again, slightly at shoulder width or slightly beyond that or wider than that uh, in terms of hand positioning for the push-up type of an exercise. And then again, you'd want to keep your entire body kind of in line or parallel with the floor as possible so we're not sagging those hips down or sticking your butt way up in the air. So with a barbell or a dumbbell uh, setup, again, we're going to go slightly wider than shoulder width for this exercise. And again, elbows are going to come down at about that 45 degree angle that you can see here. And again, some other cues with the bench press is almost like you're trying to bend that bar. And then in addition to that, you'll want to retract those shoulder blades and keep your lats engaged with this exercise. Even though it's not a back exercise, we still want to keep those uh, shoulder blades and lats engaged to help kind of protect the shoulders with this movement. And then again, we're going to lower that bar down nice and slow, push it right back up, keeping those elbows at that 45 degree angle, and then it focus like you're kind of trying to bend the bar in half. And that cue will will also help engage those lats throughout this exercise. Also for the bench press or dumbbell bench press, you're going to want to keep your butt on the bench and keep your, your feet kind of firmly pressed on the floor and kind of use that for a drive to get that bar up when you're using heavier loads. For tip number six, we want to talk about warm-up in quotes. The reason we have it in quotes is it's more than just elevating your heart rate in order to get your body prepared for whatever activity you're going to do. So we like to refer to it as pillar and movement prep. And when we talk about the pillar, as you can see, we're talking about the hips through the core or the abdominal musculature all the way up to the shoulders. It's important that we address all of these because those are going to be our primary drivers of all of our movement. And so when we talk about pillar prep and movement prep, we want to pick exercises that are going to activate and also potentially mobilize those areas to make sure that we are ready to go and engage for whatever activity we're going to do. Now, as we kind of go to this next screen, which the all the exercise lettering is pretty small, but what we were trying to point out is that you can progress these, but they don't need to necessarily change every single workout. So you can make them harder through a training block or throughout the course of the year, or just make subtle adjustments to them just to hit those muscles in slightly different ways. And this will be important just to continue to go and help advance the exercises and really can play a huge role in injury prevention because you are working on activating muscles that are going to be helpful in preventing injuries, but you're also going to help loosen up muscles that could also relieve some 
aches and pains as well as make you move better. These last few pictures are just some examples of doing exercises. Uh, this second one is a plank where they'll go and start doing hip extension from a quadruped position. The first one was doing a three-way banded shoulder. Here we're doing a lateral pillar plank with some abduction and adduction of the hips because both will be moving as he elevates his hips to the air. And then also this last one is doing kind of a one-armed hold in a pillar plank position. So these would be more of the pillar side. The movement prep side would be focusing on pillar marching um, and some different things. And there's some great resources out there for you to go and just look up to not have to build one out yourself, but potentially just be able to snag a couple of ideas. And if there are questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We're happy to help provide some guidance. Tip number seven is movement screening. Now, there are a lot of different ways you can do this. Some get very fancy and expensive. Uh, there's some really good programs out there, but we want to just talk about the basics. And two of the basic movements you can do to look for a lot of movement inefficiencies are a standing overhead squat with arms just above your head. No need for an implement there. And a single leg squat. So here Dr. Jagum is doing the overhead squat. And you can see there's a few things that we're looking at. Feet are relatively turned out, which some external rotations, not bad. But we don't want to do it excessively. Then when we watch him from the side, we can also see he's got a little bit of forward bend. Not bad, but enough that we would want to address it. The things that we're not seeing are arms forward or any major shifting from side to side with this movement. From there, we can go to a single leg squat, and this is one that we use all the time to look at hip strength. And you can see on Dr. Jacob's right side, he's not too bad. He gets a little bit of wobble. The knee bows in just a little bit um, when he's going down in it, but if he switches to his left, there's a lot bigger struggle for him where knee kind of stays in track, but in order to keep his balance, he's hiking that right hip up and really trying to maintain his balance. So what can we do from this? Well, from here we can see that some general hip strengthening could be really warranted for him as well as probably some hip mobility to help with that external rotation during the overhead squat. Another way we could look at that overhead squat is put just a small two by four or plate underneath his heels and see if that corrects some of that. And that tells us we need to work on his calves and his posterior chain with that. Even with that forward lean, we can look at different things such as loosening up his hip flexors if that's pulling him forward, making sure all of his hamstring complex is loose. So really just using these two motions, videotaping them, seeing if you can pick out a couple things planning a program to help build those up we can then reassess those at some point to see if we got improvement and where else we might be able to address next number eight on our top 10 list is making time for recovery so there's a lot of different components to optimal recovery for athletes and i would say sleep is probably the most important so for young athletes we want to make sure we're getting about eight to nine hours of sleep per night uh, once we start getting below the seven to six hour threshold, that's where the risk of injury is actually going to go up quite a bit. Um, so limiting screen time before bed, sleeping in cool, dark, quiet uh, rooms at night can certainly help kind of promote a good night's 
sleep. And then beyond that, it's really important to make make sure that you're taking time off throughout the season, changing up the type of sport, the type of training that you're doing so that you're not exposing your body to the same high amounts of stress uh, repeatedly over and over. That's where the body can start to break down. That's where the risk of overuse injuries starts to take place. Um, so again, making sure that you're incorporating new styles of training, uh, following some kind of structured training program that intentionally uh, incorporates periods of rest or deload or recovery into that annual training program. Next on our top 10 list is number nine, and that's sound nutritional practices. So for young athletes, uh, especially during the adolescent years, they already have a really high need for a lot of energy to support uh, the rapid growth and development that's going on at that stage in their life um, as puberty uh, occurs and, and they go through that kind of body transformation. So when we add in the activity and the energy demands beyond that, uh, athletes need to eat quite a bit to support their level of activity, support their normal growth and development needs, uh, and to ensure that they're eating enough for their bodies to recover from the type of training that they're doing. So calorie needs or energy needs are very dependent on the type of activity, uh, more so the amount of activity and body size. So kind of a rough estimate is about 16 to 20 calories per pound of body weight uh, will put you in a right ballpark range of how many calories you want to try to eat on any given day. Uh, so for an example, for a 135 pound athlete, that may be anywhere from 24 to 3000 calories per day. Um, certainly the higher on, on more active days. So we can kind of auto-regulate calorie intake a, a bit based on the activity levels for that, that day. But again, for young, very, very active athletes, it's important for them to make sure they're eating enough throughout the day to support that high level of activity. And then the last tip here, number 10 is not only eating enough, but making sure we're eating enough of the right thing. So ideally we want to focus on kind of fresh fruits and vegetables, whole foods, minimally processed foods. So things that were cooked uh, in a kitchen, cooked with your family, um, kind of limiting gas station fast foods as much as possible. Uh, those are okay, you know, every now and then when you're in a pinch, but ideally we want to be focusing on these kind of nutritional sources of foods rather than again, um, fast foods or supplements and so forth. So the three kind of major nutrient types that we like to focus on one being carbohydrates, that's the primary energy source for athletes. Um, so whole grains, oatmeal, pasta, breads, uh, and then again, fruits and vegetables are great sources of carbohydrates in the diet. Sports drinks are okay during training and competition or afterwards to kind of rehydrate and promote recovery, especially on hotter days during the summer. Uh, for protein, we want to make sure we get enough of this nutrient as it helps promote optimal recovery, maintain skeletal muscle tissue. Um, ideally, we want about 0.5 to 1 gram of protein per pound of body weight, or about 15 to 20% of calories. So a little bit lower than what we see with carbohydrate intake, uh, where it was about 2 to 3 grams per pound of body weight, or about 50% of calories. And then we also want to make sure we're getting enough fats in the diet as well. It's an essential nutrient for hormone production, cellular function, brain health. Uh, and that should be about 20 to 30% of the total calorie intake and focusing on maybe some of the healthier fat options, olive oil, nuts, avocado, um, hummus, peanut butter, et cetera, 
are great sources to include in the diet. So with athletes uh, on the go, it's important to make sure we're eating frequently throughout the day. So maybe planning in some snacks after school, before practice, before game, uh, before bedtime, making sure we're eating breakfast in the morning. All these are going to help kind of promote optimal performance and recovery for that athlete. Um, it's generally going to come down to making sure we have, we have a good plan in place. So, uh, shopping regularly, having meals and snacks kind of planned out in advance, um, to help accommodate the busy and hectic schedules of young athletes who are busy with school and then practicing games after schools and maybe traveling around. So the more you can plan out, uh, and have an advance, the better. And so these next couple slides are just going to be some examples of some different kind of meal plans or snacks and meal ideas that you could certainly kind of look to for guidance when trying to figure out some of the right things or the amounts of foods that it's likely going to take. So this is an example of a meal plan of a female soccer player, about 130 pounds. Um, so you can kind of see the overall calorie intake for the day and then the amount of food that it would kind of take to hit those types of goals. So just some more visual guides here of what maybe an easier or lighter training day could look like, as opposed to maybe a harder training or higher activity day. Um, and then again, some more examples of just some snacks and grab and go options that could be beneficial when people are on the go and traveling around.